This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to RotoWire's signature NHL Hockey Pod podcast with Statsman and AJ. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host, as always, is AJ Scholes, and you can follow him at AJ Scholes24. That's A-J-S-C-H-O-L-Z-2-4. Well, AJ, the longest-running RFA holdout and NHL soap opera of the last 15 years concluded moments before the 5 p.m. deadline on Saturday as the Maple Leafs and Willie Nylander finally reached a contract agreement that makes this guy uh, maybe the most eligible 22-year-old that I have ever heard of, in fact. The particulars (laughs) of this deal are as follows. It's a six-year pact with the first year featuring a $10.277 million cap hit, followed by five equal cap hits of $6.962 million over each of the remaining years. In addition, a key consideration is the flow of real dollars here, AJ. Uh, on July 1st of 2019, the Leafs will have to pay an $8.3 million signing bonus, so that means $18 million out of this deal comes out in the first 365 days. That means that uh, in real dollars, he'll only be owed $4.94 million over each of the remaining years of his contract. And while the cap hit is locked in at $6.96 million, that means less money will actually need to be paid out down the line. That aspect, in fact, makes him a very tradable commodity commodity after year one. I think it's a win for both sides because the Leafs keep, keep the hit below $7 million and in line with comparable contracts when you consider Ehlers and Pasternak, for instance, uh, the cap hit percentage that they ate up is in line with this deal. Nylander, at the end of the day, gets the money and long-term security that he sought for uh, and a promise that Kyle Dubas, in fact, does not uh, does consent that he will not trade this guy during the life of, of the contract as long as he's around. That's an interesting consideration. AJ, what do you think about all this? Yeah, I think it's interesting that it that it took quite so long, but uh, ultimately I think it's a good deal for both sides. I was a little surprised to see uh, that it did end up being a long-term contract. Uh, with how far it dragged out, I, I think I was expecting more of a two, three-year bridge deal. Um, but it's uh, like I said, it's good for both sides. You know, they get that added flexibility because of how long it took to sign because of the holdout uh, that the cap hits really high this year and then drops 
for the remainder of it, which is good for them, uh, good for the Leafs as well, because they have Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, and Kasperi Kapanen all to sign next season. So uh, good deal all around, I think. Um, I, I do think that the not trading him is is interesting, um, but I don't think you need to trade a guy like Willie Nylander when you're uh, you know in the position that they are. And then there was the matter of uh, the league revealing the 32nd franchise in an expansion announcement that, that uh, sees the fans of Seattle get the team. Uh, AJ, are you for or against it? I, in fact, like this deal. Lots of natural rivalries, particularly one just north of the border in Vancouver here. Yeah, I think it's a great, uh, great place to, to go. Great decision there. You know, Seattle um, has just just the, they have the football team and then the, the MLS team. Uh, so no basketball team to compete with kind of during the season. So I think that's makes it a, a key place to go as well. Um, I did just see that, you know, pending uh, approval from the NHL Players Association, which I don't know why they wouldn't. Uh, the, the plan is, you know, Seattle going to the Pacific. Arizona will hop over to the central um, in terms of realignment. So uh, all, all around, I think it's good. The only thing I, I maybe kind of thought would be nice would be if they had that eighth team in uh, up in Canada there to give, you know, an even one third of the league. But as you pointed out, there's some great rivalries. I, I think it's a good city to go to a good market that's kind of untapped as well. Um, so, yeah, I'm all for it. All right, then uh, why don't you get out, get into our disclaimer and we'll get on with the show then, bud. Sounds good. So, yeah, as always, uh, you know, I'll just remind our listeners that throughout the week, if you have questions about your lineups, fantasy hockey or just hockey in general, you can tweet at us. We'll try and answer those questions throughout the week. Every once in a while, we're happy to answer those on, a, on one of our uh, podcasts as well. Uh, as Paul mentioned, you can follow me at AJ Schultz 24 and you can follow Paul the Statsman at Statsman 22. All right. And we're going to try and whip through the 31 teams here with uh, an analysis of roster updates and uh, how things went for them in the past week. We begin, as always, with Anaheim. A team that went four and zero last uh, the last seven days of last week. Uh, the Ducks romped through their opposition, sweeping four road wins in some tough arenas last week. In fact, and Pontus Aberg playing at the right wing, first line position, led the offense with three goals and three helpers. Nick Ritchie's a guy that I've talked up a lot, and finally he's living up to that hype a little bit with three goals and one assist of his own. And it could be that this big winger is finally ready to to break out like I've been expecting him. Uh, we've both been expecting him to do that in, for some time. And, and in addition, Hampus Lindholm returned to bolster the blue line, and he added three points in his two games from his first D-pairing role, AJ. Well, and then, you know, just uh, just the other day, uh, Daniel Sprong gets uh, traded for uh, Marcus Pedersen. I'll get into the Pedersen side of it a little bit later, but I think uh, this is a good pickup for, for Anaheim. You know, uh, it's a team generally looked at as, as a little bit older in the league, um, could use some more kind of younger guys. And they have spots, I think, for Sprong to slide into, um, most likely in a bottom six role. But I wouldn't be surprised if he got the occasional look in a, in a top six spot as well. Uh, this is a tremendous talent that just there wasn't anywhere to put him in Pittsburgh. It's not that he uh, needed to move somewhere else to get, you know, better opportunities or, 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 you know, to restart his career. It hasn't really started yet and they just didn't have anywhere to put him. So I think it's a good uh, deal by Anaheim to, to bring him in. 
AJ, the Coyotes won two of three on the road last week and uh, went three and one overall. Then they even won another one last night, so they're on a bit of a roll. As expected, Nick Schmaltz moved to the right wing on the into right into the left wing one slot uh, alongside Stepan and Keller. A good spot for him, and he's uh, been scoring up a storm, picking up four points in three games last week and another one last night. In goal, Aiden Hill has stepped up impressively, logging all three wins last night and again picking up the victory last last evening uh, to take advantage of injuries to Ranta and Kemper in the net mining situation. I'll have more to say about that a little bit later. He'll uh, earn a longer look as long as he continues to play at this level. On the downside, Michael Grabner will miss a couple of weeks with an injury around his eye. Panic and Kraus will vie for his left wing two role. I think what's interesting about the goaltending situation, you know, they they picked up Calvin Picard off waivers, um, and I honestly think there's an opportunity here for Picard to stay. Um, you know, Hill will get sent back once Ranta and, and Kemper are healthy, but I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if we see uh, them keep Picard over Darcy Kemper uh, once, you know, once everybody's healthy here. So kind of an interesting situation to watch. Uh, I think ultimately, you know, anti Ranta, if he can get healthy, which has been a problem all season long and even last year, uh, will will be the starter here. But this may be the final landing spot for Calvin Picard. I, I, I don't think he's going to get moved. The Boston Bruins are slumping a little bit. They got skunked last night. They went one and two last week. Uh, they they seem to be able to continue to count on Pasternak and Marchand. They produced four and three points respectively last week in those three games, despite playing with the injured Bergeron. He'll be out for a few more weeks. Colby Cave continues to be the center, though he has only one assist in his six games played now. They don't want to disrupt the Krejci line, which is the bread and butter right now of their offense. So I wonder if Joachim Nordstrom might get a look here soon if Cave doesn't start to do anything offensively. And the blue line, Charlie McAvoy is still out with concussion symptoms, but he did appear for practice skate, albeit in a non-contact jersey. So that's a little bit of progress there. Tuka Rask has looked sharp in his last two starts last week and may be ready to take back his larger role in goal. AJ, what do you think about what's going on with the Bees? I think you hit the nail on the head there in terms of uh, of pretty much everything you said. Uh, Colby Cave, I, I think, is not going to be the long term, uh, you know, placeholder for Patrice Bergeron. I think we'll see that spot get get moved around a bunch. And then, yeah, you point out Tugarask has performed well lately, while Yaroslav Halak uh, has finally started to falter, giving up eight goals in his last two appearances. So uh, we may finally have returned to, you know, Tuca time in Boston. The Buffalo Sabres are starting to slip a little bit. They've had their 10 game winning streak uh, slapped last week. They were one, one, one and one. And last night they lost a thriller of a hockey game. AJ, that was a tremendous game between them and the Leafs ended by one Austin Matthews late in the overtime had to get that in Sam Reinhardt <laughs> is quietly riding shotgun very effectively alongside Skinner and Eichel on the top unit they're all getting a lot of ink but uh, Sam Reinhardt uh, is is a key participant there who maybe is undersold in, in terms of the press clippings he has three goals and two assists in three games last week and had a goal last night as well he's enjoyed six multi-point games in November that's a pretty good slate uh, in the last uh, 35 days for him let's say don't sleep on uh, his, this sidekick is what I'm telling you the Sabres have concerns about Jason Palmanville who's been scoreless in his last five games and missed action last night and in uh, against the Leafs and the night before against Nashville while under medical evaluation. Tage Thompson is thriving in a top six role as left wing two, scoring four goals and an assist in his last eight games. 
Yeah, I think the the one kind of uh, you know hesitation I have for Thompson uh, is that he's done most of that production. Uh, you know, was last week uh, when Connor Sheary was out of the lineup. So with Sheary healthy, I expect Thompson to get bumped back down to a bottom six role, and so uh, that's certainly a factor there. And then this is also another uh, club dealing with a bunch of blue line injuries. You've got Jake McCabe, Marco Scandella are both on IR, and then Casey Nelson picks up an injury last night. So they're going to be spread pretty thin on that blue line, uh, and that's going to raise some concerns here. Ultimately, I think if you're if you're looking for value from this team, it, it's really that top line, and, and they're, they're not going to be cheap, but Skinner and Eichel have just paired up really well. Uh, Middlestat, I don't think, has produced quite to the level that, that I think um, I personally was expecting. I'm sure maybe the team was expecting more out of them at this point as well. Well, last night the Flames were involved in a 9-6 shootout, but last week Mike Smith put together three pretty nice starts in goal, uh, getting two wins and allowing a total of four goals against to respond to David Riddick's own strong debut in Calgary's net mix. The top guns offensively are still leading the parade, but I want to draw attention to one T.J. Brody who has finally started to produce offensively on the top D pair as he collected seven points in his last nine games before last night's shootout after getting only four points in his first 18 games. This guy's a very capable defensive scorer, defenseman scorer, and uh, I think he's starting to finally live up to my expectations in that regard. I continue to express surprise, however, at Jason, James Neal's struggles as he's goalless in 13 games now, despite an average of around three, point, three shots on goal per game. This is a sniper who, uh, sooner or later, the, he's going to get it going. Yeah, well, one guy who does have it going is Elias Lindholm uh, has really panned out well. Uh, you know, you talk about offseason acquisitions, and, and if you want to call Neil a miss, well, Elias Lindholm has been a huge hit. 30 points in the first uh, 28 games here. Uh, his last, he's had multi-point games in each of his last three contests. And so he is really firing on all cylinders, seeing a ton of power play time and producing with the man advantage as well. So uh, if you're looking for somebody who maybe is a little more uh, off the radar, I think Calgary as a team generally uh, doesn't get uh, utilized quite as much as it should. And so uh, I'm, I'm not calling him a sleeper by any means, but I think he won't be on the radar, you know, in terms of daily contests, uh, as much as some of the other high profile clubs and definitely somebody to target. In Carolina, the Hurricanes went 1-1-1 one, one, and one last week. Scott Darling's struggles have finally resulted in his demotion to the AHL. He carries a cap hit of just over $3 million over each of the next two seasons, as well as this season. Left wing number one on the first line, Michael Furland is out with concussion symptoms. That's another difficult blow for this club. Brock, Brock McGinn, who was a 16-goal scorer last year, will get a temporary promotion into a scoring line role as a result of that injury situation. Lucas Walmark in his third pro season is earning valuable experience as a third line center. A recent hot streak has him at 10 points in 26 games and I think he's a guy who has po possibilities of moving into the top six if he can continue to find a scoring groove that he's shown recently. Well, if anybody was wondering why they put Scott Darling on, on waivers, you have to look no further than Curtis McElhinney this season. 7-2-1, yeah. a 2.10 goals against average. He's got uh, his last five outings. have He's earned at least a point for his team. He's got four wins, no regulation uh, defeats, one overtime loss there, and hasn't given up more than two goals in any of those contests. This is a guy that is, you know was picked up off waivers, 
uh, after Toronto had to make some moves to, to pare down their net mining situation. And uh, he has really thrived and, and grabbed hold of the reins there in Carolina and could be uh, their answer for a, a year or two. He's not the goaltender of the future. He is 35 years old. But if they can get a couple good years out of him, uh, it, it might be what they need uh, you know, to, to give time to some younger prospects to, to make their way up. In Chicago, boy, things are starting to fall apart there. They went 0-4 last week, AJ. They were outscored 22-12 to over those four tilts. Corey Crawford allowed 15 goals against in his three starts. That's really troubling when your number one guy looks like a sieve in the nets. Henry Yoki Harju continues to earn top four D minutes, now partnered with Duncan Keith. That's a good spot for him. Dylan Strom made his Hawks debut at... Uh, second center role with Dabrinkat and Kane on his wings, collecting three points in four games. I say they leave that unit alone and see what this guy's potential is, and I think they'll be pretty happy at the end of the day. So uh, I'm keeping a, an eye out on Strom's continued performance there. Uh, and Artem Anisivov loses that second line role. He drops into the 3C role, but he didn't sulk, uh, to his credit, c- scoring two goals and one assist last week, despite a reduction in his role and ice time. Well, the problem is that, uh, you know, Cam Ward's been just as bad, if not worse, uh, than Corey Crawford. So they really don't have another option there. You look at Ward this season, there's only two games in which he's allowed two or fewer goals uh, to find the back of the net. Every other one has been three four five, even a seven goals allowed outing against Toronto. Uh, and so this is not a good situation in the nets. Now it's not all on the goaltenders here. They've had, um, a couple of injuries on the blue line. They've kind of struggled there. Um, you know, their, their offensive blue liners aren't, uh, you know, quite as defensively solid as you might have hoped, uh, recently. And so, uh, it's not all of their fault, but it's definitely, uh, not uh, solid goaltending coming out of Chicago right now. Colorado continues to hum along there. They went 3-0-1 last week, AJ. We know all about the prolific offense, but Varlamov's doing his part in the Nets with only 14 goals against in his last six starts, representing a consistent level of play throughout this strong early season start. I might have jinxed Tyson Berry last week because he missed the last, <laughs> last three games and he'll miss a start this week uh, with an undisclosed injury. That's a tough blow because he's their number one offensive performer on the blue line. Veteran blue liner Eric Johnson will play power play in first pairing minutes in his absence, which should not be a long-term situation. Yeah, Paul, you got to stop using the the voodoo doll on on Tyson (laughs) Berry there. Um, But he did return last night against Pittsburgh, and lo and behold, he scored a goal. So uh, you talked about how key he is to the offense uh, offense there from the blue line uh that is you know just so clear right there um for him so the other interesting thing i do think about last night he logged 24 10 of ice time uh looking at this quickly maybe i missed a game but i think that's his highest ice time of any game this season so uh or maybe second highest and so he'll probably uh see even more minutes uh coming back from this injury as they try and make a, a push at a, at a deep run here. Don't be surprised to see him creep up towards 26, 28, uh, especially towards the back end of the season. Well, the Blue Jackets went 2-1 and one last week before that debacle last night. Uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois had 
had five multi-point efforts in his prior eight games as the number one center. Uh, Ryan Murray is another victim of hearing his name from me on our pod as he too was out of the lineup last week and it's a foot injury that he's dealing with uh, after his, we highlighted what an offensive spark he's been most recently. David Savard will absorb his lost minutes and that should include power play shifts going forward. Josh Anderson is holding on to his top six role off on, among the forwards on the strength of being a finisher with four goals in eight games prior to last night's shootout for the third straight year putting up Cy Young numbers though he's uh, he's a shooter more than a playmaker this guy well you mentioned the shootout uh, last night you know with Calgary that 6-9 game and Bobrovsky got shelled for eight uh, goals on just 26 shots that's a, a 0.692 save percentage uh, I, I obviously don't have the numbers in front of me but that has to be up there with perhaps one of his worst performances in his career. Uh, it's something I'll maybe try and dig up later. But, um, yeah, it, it was not a good night for, for him. Uh, two losses in his last two games, 11 goals allowed in those contests. And so, uh, for me, this team lives will live and die by Sergei Bravrasi. If, if he struggles, it's going to be a tough outing. They have some offensive tools. They're, they're one of the deepest teams in the league, in my opinion. Their third line can definitely score. Their fourth line has that talent as well. Um, but it, without uh, Bobrovsky, you know, being on his game, it, it's not going to go well for Columbus. In Dallas, Brian Bishop returned with a nice one goal against uh, start and a win after missing five previous outings. Updating on John Klingberg, it's looking like a return for him is scheduled around Christmas. John is skating. He's skating, but... Uh, concussion issues keep him out of lineup too Miro Heiskanen has been impressive in their absence picking up picking up four points in five games played in a high leverage minutes so he might be a short-term solution there Jason Spezza looks like he will move up to right wing number one situation with Radulov moving to the second line to start this week I guess they're looking for more balance among the top six maybe an attempt also to help young second line center Rup Hintz get off the schneid well, at this point, I think it's fair to call Valeri uh, Nushkinen a bust, uh, and this experiment clearly has not worked out. Still doesn't have a, a goal this season, just four assists. He's pointless in his last 10 games. Uh, he did miss one due to an injury, but uh, that that's certainly not an excuse at this point. And so the, the problem, too, is that they're moving him all over the lineup, kind of in a third-line role right now, does occasionally get bumped to the fourth. Uh, if they're really invested in trying to get him going, I, I think they need to look at moving him into a top six uh, responsibility, get him playing with maybe some some better guys around him and see if that helps. But right now, uh, I'm, I'm calling this uh, a bust return for him. I second that notion. In Detroit, they went two and two last week. Nicholas Cronwall's minutes have slowly increased lately, and so has his shots on goal rate. He should benefit from a pairing with fellow d- veteran blue liner Mike Green, who's on fire offensively. Nine points in his last eight games played before last night. Veteran, a big man, Justin Advocator makes good sense as the top line left wing for me, alongside scorers like Larkin and Mantha. He'll keep the flies off them, as uh, Mike Babcock says about opposing checking and (laughs) physicality has a nice scoring touch too as seen by his improved shots on goal rate of late yeah it seems unfortunately on this blue line it's one guy in one guy out so trevor daly's dealing with an injury right now um that's that's really going to stretch this club uh you know especially with the the anthony mantha being hurt johan franzen um 
or I'm sorry, um, sorry, Darren Helm is who I meant to, to say there. So Mantha Helm are both out. Uh, they've got Bertuzzi suspended. We'll talk about that more later. Uh, and so, yeah, the, the blue line is banged up and, and it's, they've got forwards. They've been doing the, the kind of five or the like seven defensemen at times this year. It, it, it's very strange what's going on there. Um, but the, yeah, just more and more injuries for Detroit. In Edmonton, they only allowed three total goals in three wins last week. That's a switch in their winning formula. In fact, credit the Hitchcock system uh, as the new coach imp- implements some defensive structure. Koskinen, the winning goalie in all three starts, continue to do his, continues to excel and has relegated Cam Talbot to backup status once again in that guy's career. Oscar Kleffbaum has six points in his last four games on the blue line. Alex Chason is a person of great interest to me as the right wing number one. Look at who he's playing with, McDavid and Dreisaitl. I, I'd look good there, I think. He has uh, <laughs> three goals in his last four games with added minutes there and could be a really uh, a DFS darling for a while. Ryan Lugin Hopkins moves into the second C role between Kajula and Puyavri at the moment. Yeah, and I want to just talk real quick about their one pickup uh, off the waiver while Valentin Zykov, uh, they snagged him off of Carolina, uh, is dealing with the immigration issues right now, so hasn't been able to play. But uh, this is a guy who last year in the minors uh, racked up 54 points in 63 games, had just three assists in 13 games with Carolina, wasn't getting a ton of playing time. Uh, but I think there's a little bit more opportunity here uh, with Edmonton to maybe get a look. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll probably slot him in bottom six to start, but I would expect him to factor significantly more, uh, than, than he did in Carolina and is definitely a player to watch in my opinion. And Florida came up big last night in one of the emptiest arenas I've ever seen AJ against Boston, a five, nothing shadowed. And it must've been friends and family night there. <laughs> Jared McCann has filled in admirably as the second line center role while Trochek's on the IR. That's good news for McCann's family, I guess. He's picked up three goals in five games played before last evening. Uh, Dadunov has embarked on another hot streak, uh, notching three goals and four assists in his last five games. It seems as though Aaron Ekblad is rediscovering his uh, scoring ability from the blue line. He has nine points in 11 games before last night after a dreadful start this year. And I think he's being helped by the fact that he's getting more playing time with Keith Yandel, the NHL's Ironman, who's well over 760 uh, consecutive 750 consecutive games played in the NHL. Well, we talked about the need for this team to get Roberto Luongo back, and lo and behold, he comes back and pitches a shutout against Boston last night, 33 saves on 33 shots. And so um, just an indicator of why they need him uh, to hopefully stay healthy the rest of the way. James Reimer just has not uh, really worked out well for them uh, in those relief appearances. You know, yeah, I, I think he's just not a number one netminder, and he's not a guy that can really play night after night after night. And so uh, if they can keep Luongo healthy, there's a team that could find itself climbing up uh, the division uh, rankings. And Los Angeles lost 2-1 to one last night, but the formula for them is going to be uh, they're a tougher out now that Jonathan Quick is back in the Nets. He picked up a 34-shot shutout uh, in, a, in the start prior to last evening, and uh, this team looks like they're going to play a little more defensive-minded. Now they've given up only 12 goals against in their last six games played. Trouble up front is... Uh, Kovalchuk's return to the NHL is gone from bad to worse, AJ, as he's now sidelined for at least a month with an injury. Kyle Clifford has moved up to the left wing two minutes, 
and has two goals in his last seven games. I expect that productivity to increase a little bit. They also claimed Nikita Sherback off waivers from Montreal, and we'll give him a look at the left wing once he gets over an ankle injury that cost him any playing time so far this year. He's close to return to full health and will get a shot here very soon. Well, I think it's indicative of of the troubles that they're having this season, and and some of it, as you said, is due to injury. You know, they made the move Pearson to for Hagelin, and now Hagelin's hurt. Uh, Trevor Lewis is out. They, you mentioned Sherback. They also picked up Brendan Leipzig off waivers as well, and I think that's just an indicator that things aren't going well here, and that they're just trying to reform retool the the lineup and see what sticks ultimately so um you know it'll be interesting to see how everything might shake out once they get all these guys back from injury um but you know having jonathan quick in the nets this is a team that can steal one uh once in a while minnesota nino niederreiter was a fourth liner for two games before moving back to the right wing two spot he picked up an assist uh in those two efforts Koivu and Parise are his new line mates so that should help him going forward but I'll wait for results before I use him anywhere believe me after an uneven start Jason Zucker has picked it up with eight points in his 11 games played before last night rising to the number one left wing spot next to Eric Stahl good spot for him AJ oh absolutely I I think uh, Minnesota is a team that needs uh, to to get those guys going again, and and you know we talked about some of Stahl's struggles earlier in the year, um, but he seems to be back on track uh, and has points in each of his last three games, and so um, there's definitely spots to pick here. It's not a deep enough club. I'm not going really anybody from the bottom three most nights in DFS. Uh, obviously, you know it'll depend on matchup, but uh, the the top six can definitely produce for you. And with the Montreal Canadiens, they went 1-2 and two last week, and they won big last night. The big news here, though, Shea Weber returned three points uh, in his first few a couple of starts there and the usual heavy workload and bringing his mean demeanor last week. Uh, his playing partner on the blue line at the moment is Brett Kulak, so keep an eye on him. On the downside, Max Domi had cooled off with only one assist before in his last five games, had a big effort last night, so maybe he's back uh, in, in the good graces offensively. Well, and they did also get back uh, Paul Byron this week. He had missed a pretty big chunk of time. He'd been out since October. Uh, He's got two points in his first three games back, both assists. Uh, Not going to be a huge factor, I don't think, most of the time. But right now he's in a second-line role. Uh, Might get bumped to the third. It it could flip periodically. But, uh, yeah, having him back and available will help that offense as well. In Nashville, uh, the league's leading team struggling a little bit, AJ. The Preds were compelled to promote 19-year-old Eli Tolvanen from Milwaukee. You probably have something to say about that. After receiving word that their star uh, winger, Philip Forsberg, will be lost for a month with a hand injury. Uh, Tolvanen responded with a goal and an assist in his NHL debut as a left-wing number one. But that joy (laughs) is offset by a growing list of stars on the IR here. Uh, at center, Torres and Bonino are injured, and Arvidsson is missing on right wing, so that's a lot of talent on the injury ward right now. Well, and P.K. Subban is there as no well. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, just a very, very injury rack team. But at the end of the day, they do still have uh, Peke Rene. He's got wins in each of his last two games and is looking like his usual self. What's a little surprising is how much workload he's been getting. They've tried in the past to keep him fresh, but they're riding him. Uh, you know, pretty extensively right now and, and not utilizing UC Saros, who I think has been uh, fine, has had a couple of bad outings lately. But overall, uh, I'm a little surprised to see them using Rene quite so much. 
And Jersey is starting to struggle a little bit. Corey Schneider, particularly, after losing the goal, uh, starting goalie gig to Keith Kincaid a few weeks ago, but the latter may be on the verge of losing that role back to him after surrendering six goal, 16 goals in his last four starts. They've also switched up their D pairs as Yakovlev is down to third pair minutes, although he did score the other night. Uh, so maybe he's ha- going to make a fight for that uh, moving upward again. Mirko Muller is now on the top pair with Sammy Vatnan. Marcus Johansson, a longtime capable scoring winger, finally looks like he's getting on track. He's notched three goals and two helpers in his last five games. Well, what's also interesting here is, is you know, Keith Kincaid has had a couple of, you know, pretty bad outings lately. Uh, but despite that, you know, Kincaid has given up four goals in each of his last five games, no wins over that stretch. But despite his struggles, they haven't looked to Corey Schneider to try and bail him out. And I think that's kind of indicative of how this has changed over there. Schneider is winless uh, in his seven appearances this season, hasn't even gotten an overtime uh, win. So uh, kind of bad net minding right now. And and they're going to have to rely on Taylor Hall in the offense if they want to get back on track. The Islanders were winless in a very quiet week. They only had two games. Matthew Barzal may finally be showing signs of not having John Tavares ahead of him on the depth chart, AJ, as he's been limited to only two assists and a slight reduction into his ice time over the last four games he's played, and he's only scored three goals on the year. It could be that the kid needs a break from the pressure of the number one center role, in fact, in my opinion. Similarly, Brock Nelson has been held to no goals and three assists in his last seven games. That's tough when your top two uh, pivots aren't putting the puck anywhere near the net. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's kind of uh, compounded by uh, an injury to Robin Lerner. Now, they've been using Thomas Grice more, so it it may not be a huge factor. Um, But, you know, Lerner was brought in to compete for this starting job, and that really has not panned out. Thomas Grice has just kind of held uh, the fort there. And even when he struggled, uh, Lerner's been worse, to be perfectly blunt about it. And so uh, Christopher Gibson is up with the team now. It's possible that, uh, you know, based on their schedule, maybe they give him a look to kind of see what they have in in more of a goaltender of the future option. And with the Rangers, they're just barely above 500, but they're 0-2-1 last week. Their dilemma is too many shots on goal. Uh, They're giving up averaging almost 40 per game in their last six outings. And uh, Alexander Georgiev, a top young prospect who has been up with the team, has been demoted to the minors in favor of veteran backup Dustin Tokarski, who might be better suited to this heavy workload and lack of defensive structure. Mika Zibanejad is driving the offense with three multi-point efforts in his last six games as the number one center. Vesey and Faster are the wingers on the new top-line mix. Uh, Nemesnikov is sidelined with con- concussion issues, leaving a lot of top-line minutes for the kids. Chaitl and Anderson are going to get a long look there. Well, I, I think the goaltending thing is just a temporary flip. Uh, you know, the, the Rangers are off until Saturday. The AHL club is, is playing two games before then. So um, I have to imagine that they'll flip these two guys before Saturday. Georgiev is going to get the start, I think, tonight and maybe even Friday, although they're, they're on the road Saturday, so they may not be able to do that. But uh, I think it's just temporary. But it is encouraging that they're getting, uh, you know, Nemestikov, uh, Bushnevich, McLeod, and Zugarello were all at practice, and so they might finally have a healthy forward complement uh, heading into that matchup. The Ottawa Senators went 3-0 and last week, AJ. A great week shows off their winning formula, though. Uh, solid goaltending from a declining asset in goal, aging Craig Anderson. Top two forwards are pending free agents, Matt Duchesne and Mark, Mark Stone. 
they have to lead this offense, and they did so last week. A second-year defenseman leading the league's rear guards in scoring in Thomas Shabbat. I wonder if all of that and is sustainable. I say no, which leads me to, to a question for my partner in season-long fantasy play. Would you sell high on Thomas Shabbat right now? Oh, man, that is a difficult question. He is just 21. Um, if it's a redraft league, and I might consider it. Yeah, if it's a redraft league and I can kind of retool my offense, but if I'm in a dynasty kind of keeper league, I'm holding on to this guy, even though the team, as you know, you highlighted the number of reasons uh, that they could go from, you know, struggling now to, to possibly worse next year. Uh, I think he's going to be the focal point of that blue line scoring uh, for a while for this club. And so for me, dynasty league, I'm holding on to him. In Philadelphia, Chuck Fletcher was hired as the new GM. That's not a surprise to me as he worked closely with Bobby Clark earlier in their careers when they were both with Florida. On the ice, Michael Neuverth returns from the IR in the Nets, meaning that they at least have an experienced goalie in the mix once again. I want to double down on my assessment of uh, Weiss as the left wing on the second line. This guy has been a fourth-line plugger for much of his career and collected one or zero shots on goal in his eight of his nine starts. You've got to have more productivity than that on the top six players on forward. Almost as concerning is the lack of production from JVR, who has been completely blanked over his last five games. Yeah. One thing that I, that I have to highlight just because I've been talking about him for what are we in year four here? So I've been talking about him for four years on the show. Anthony Stolarts is actually getting a look right now. I, I think they need to continue to play this guy. He got the win over Pittsburgh uh, over the weekend, gave up just two goals to a pretty high powered offense there. Um, and, and so I really think, yes, I know Carter Hart is the, the netminder of the future, but the season seems to be going in the wrong direction for the Flyers right now. They can't keep Newverth and, and Elliott healthy. So why not play Stoller? See what you have there. If nothing else, if, if you're eventually going to give the job to Carter Hart, why don't you highlight Stollerts? Let him maybe you know intrigue some other teams and trade him away for for assets. So uh, I would like to see him get more starts here down the stretch. Yeah, that's a good call. And how long before Carter Hart, their real real gem in the future? Uh, he got to get a look at one of these two guys soon. In Pittsburgh, Casey DeSmith has continued to give consistent results in the in the Penguins' nets, keeping the goals against under three in all but one of his last eight starts. With his offense supporting him, that translates into a very high win probability from my perspective. Dominic Simone, uh, among the forwards, collected three points in his last four games and has fantasy value as long as he continues to play on Sid's right wing. On defense, uh, Yusso Ricola has assumed a second-pairing role and some power play time, and that, to me, could be a sneaky DFS value play. So my only concern about Ricola right now is the fact that they made the move to bring in Marcus Pedersen by flipping him for Daniel Sprong. Uh, I think there's definitely an argument to be made that Pedersen will compete for minutes here. Uh, unfortunately, I think for Chad Ruido, I think that means he's probably not going to see a whole lot of ice uh, into the future here. But what I like about this trade from the Penguin standpoint is they have a glut of talent at forward. They didn't have anywhere to put Sprong in. And I, I love Sprong. I think he's a great player. I think he's going to be a great addition to Anaheim. But what the organization doesn't have is defensive uh, prospects or depth there. So Flipping a guy who's not going to crack your lineup, who you would have had to put on waivers to move down to the minors for a guy like Pedersen that fills an organizational hole. Uh, I think it's a great move by Pittsburgh here, 
Uh, I'll talk about Matt Murray real quick. It sounds like he's skating, trending in the right direction. Uh, but for me right now, I, I, based on how he was playing before, I don't even want to see Matt Murray in the nets right now. I'm, <laughs> I'm happy with Casey DeSmith. In San Jose, they, they went winless in three games last week, continue, uh, completing a <laughs> disappointing swing through Eastern Canada. Uh, offensively, Timo Meyer missed those games, and his top six role fent, fell to Junis Donskoy. On the blue line, Eric Carlson has one point in his last five games despite a shots-on-goal rate that is on the rise, so maybe there is some promise on the horizon for one of the league's best uh, defenseman scorers, finally. Joachim Ryan has been re- has, uh, been replaced as Burns' partner by Radim Simek on the blue line, making him a guy to watch in that pairing. After allowing an average of four goals against in five straight starts, Martin Jones allowed only one in his last start, a 40-save effort in Montreal. It could be a key building block for the number one netminder here. Yeah, I think what will be interesting to see is, you know, how Timo Meyer fits in now that he is healthy, should play tonight after a three-game absence. Uh, looks like he'll be with Jumbo Joe and Marcus Sorensen. So um, something to watch there as they move all that around uh, and who gets bumped up. I love Evander Kane still playing on that top line. Uh, I I personally didn't hate him uh, in that third line role, kind of giving them a, some depth scoring. But that all that to say, he's really slumped of late. Uh, no goals in his last seven games, just one assist over that stretch. So they definitely need to get more out of him. The St. Louis Blues sport a record that's well under 500. They went one and two last week, and trouble on the horizon looms. I think Alex Pietrangelo, their number one defenseman. Uh, came up with a season high four points in a three-game stretch before suffering a hand injury he's going to be lost to this team for a month that's a big blow on the blue line it's a spot where i think holden pareko now needs to step up for the blues and if he doesn't this team will continue to really stumble similarly up front robbie fabry was just starting to fit back into the top six forwards here but he too suffered a shoulder injury and as well will be lost to them for a month and that gives Patrick Maroon a shot to prove that he's a, uh, a good op- option to fill in a top six role here. He's done it before uh, elsewhere, so I look for success in that situation for him. Yeah, if you're looking for kind of uh, sneaky depth uh, DFFs, DFS options, Ryan O'Reilly is going to play with Robert Thomas on one wing and Zachary Sanford on the other. So those are guys to maybe keep an eye on. Now, that's how it looks right now. Obviously, those lines could change at practice today. Things could get switched around. But uh, if that is the case, if those guys are playing with Ryan O'Reilly, maybe consider Paul's sidekick theory there for, for those guys tonight. And Tampa, boy, even when they play bad, they win. They won last night. They went 2-1 <laughs> and one last week. Good news all over the place. Andre Palat came off the IR, meaning that the offen- all the offensive pieces are finally healthy here. Yanni Gord, currently the number one guy on left wing, is scoreless in his last five games. May face a challenge from Palat or Killorn over there. Uh, Killorn particularly has three goals and one assist in his last four games played. On the blue line, Ryan McDonough has 18 points in 27 games, which is a career best pace for him. I'm not sure he keeps it up, but he could be close to 50 points, and nobody's talking about him at all. Last year, I'll point out, only eight defenders reached that uh, 50-point mark. I definitely think he is capable of of keeping up that pace. You know, you look at his uh, numbers... 30 pretty much should be a lock. He's he's hit 40 twice, uh, and I, I definitely think he's capable of getting back there. 
know, he only played part of the season uh, with Tampa Bay last year. And so had just three points in 14 games Uh, this year, you know, a full off season with the organization, a full preseason, I think is only going to help him. I, I expect a career year out of him. I think, I think he'll hit that mark. Uh, looks like 43 is his current best. I, I think he'll top that. Well, the Maple Leafs uh, solved their dilemma off the ice. They went three and zero on the ice last week and they even won last night, uh, trading Josh Levo to Vancouver for uh, prospect Michael Carcone. That was just to create uh, roster space for Carlson. Nothing more. Carcone will report to the minors. Uh, Dubas promised him that he won't be traded, so Nylander takes that promise to the bank, he hopes. But uh, looking ahead one year with contracts needed for Matthews and Marner, I'm having a tough time seeing how the math works. The fact that the salary cap rose is rising to $83 million will help, and it'll be kind of a shoehorn situation. But I wonder when people are going to start talking about Patrick Marlowe's deal, the $6.5 million cap hit that he is owed next year is going to look like an albatross because the veteran is going to be on the third line, I think, with Kadri, while Nylander is reunited with Mar- Matthews on that second unit. By the way, uh, uh, name a more consistent goalie than Frederick Anderson right now. Uh, you'd be hard pressed to do that, that's for sure. Uh, Freddie has been uh, outstanding uh, all season long. I think the only concern for me with this team right now is is defensively. You know, you highlighted the offensive talent. They're going to get Willie Nylander in there. But in each of his last four games, Freddie Anderson has seen 40 or more shots. Uh, That's simply too high. It's not sustainable. Now, granted, he's gotten wins in all four, so uh, (laughs) he's he's able to do it. But I I do have long term concerns about him continuing to see that level of workload uh, and would like to see, you know, I, I don't think they need to make a move to add a defenseman. I just think they need to figure out a way to shore it up and, and stop those uh, shots from from being so high. And the Vancouver Canucks, again, looking like they're kind of flagging a little bit. They went 0-2-1 last week. The loss is piling up. But with Brock Besser back in the lineup, two goals in three games prior to last night on a line with Elias Patterson and Bo Horvat centering a second scoring line. This offense should be decent at the very least. Watch out also for Nikolai Goldobin as the left wing on that top line. On the blue line, Alex Edler and Alex Biega are the top D pairing and both have strong offensive skills. Viega might uh, see his ceiling rise as a result. And I was pleased to see Josh Levo get a, a goal in his Vancouver debut in a top six winger role. I, I think it's a good fit for him. Yeah, I mean, I, I put Josh Levo in, in a similar category to what I said about Daniel Sprong in uh, the Penguins. They, you know, there just wasn't a spot for him to see consistent minutes in, in a top six role, uh, you know, with Toronto. And I think he'll be better suited with Vancouver. I think it's a great move by both sides. Uh, you know, a depth guy goes the, uh, an organizational guy rather goes the other way. And so that's probably more, uh, what, you know, Toronto needs right now is just kind of prospects, uh, in their system rather than, you know, an, uh, right now NHLer. Well, don't look now, but Vegas, they won a rematch of the Stanley Cup final. They're two games over 500, three and one in their last four starts. William Carlson is starting to look like the guy who broke out offensively last year. He has 
He had four goals in four games played before last night, but I've noticed a steady increase in his shots on goal rate over the last couple of weeks that's even more telling. Similarly, Riley Smith had 10 points in eight games again prior to last night. Combine that with a second line that features Max Pacioretty, who has six goals and three assists in his last seven games. Fleury continues his nice streak, allowing only, uh, what is it, 14 goals against in his last eight games now. All of a sudden, this team looks similar to the squad that surprised many last year. Yeah, well, I I can't take all the credit. Uh, This was pointed out to me. Um, But if you look at Flurry's numbers in in his last eight games, 7-1-0 with a 1.99 goals against average, uh, what happened eight games ago is that they got Nate Schmidt back into the lineup uh, from his suspension. And that has really been a game changer for this team. Now, now Schmidt's not exactly an offensive tour de force, but uh, his, his defensive help, uh, and leadership from there, I think, can really uh, factor in. Of course, I say that, and Schmidt had a three-point night last night. But more often than not, you know, I think his 31 from last season, or 36 rather from last season, is about his ceiling. I would expect him maybe to be closer to the mid 20 range uh, more often than not. But uh, I, I think his reintroduction to the lineup has been uh, a complete turnaround for this team. Yeah, no doubt it brought stability. Speaking of the defending champs. They are now 2-2 two and two in their last four games, still well above 500. Brett Connolly had three points in four games la- last week, uh, warming up to the right-wing two role that belongs to the injured T.J. Oshie. Braden Holpe in the Nets is settled in. He allowed six goals against an ugly loss to the Ducks last, uh, last time out, but rebounded last evening. Before that, he was lights out as well. So I think the number one goaltender is finding his, his groove with that one exception. It's vital to know which center is playing with Ovi right now for one week to the next. Uh, at the moment, it's uh, Nick Backstrom, and he has eight points in his last three games played. Well, and the other thing to watch is who's going to take over on that right wing spot. Um, Tom Wilson is expected to to travel with the team, but after uh, taking that big hit uh, against uh, the Golden Knights last night, uh, I'd be surprised if he was ready to play, uh, you know, in their next game. Uh, And kind of follow up on that, uh, news has come out this morning that Ryan Reeves is not going to get any supplementary discipline for that hit um i i think you know you never want to wish uh ill on a guy you never want to wish he's going to get injured but i don't think there's a whole lot of people in the league uh feeling sorry for tom wilson right now yeah it's that live by the sword die by the sword kind of deal isn't it with the winnipeg jets they are now four and one in their last five games it's a good thing this team has such a prolific offense though because they've been giving up quite a bit starter connor hellybuck really struggling before last night he put together a good effort then though uh it doesn't help that uh, dustin buffalo missed uh, time on the blue line he's recovering from a concussion he'll be out for a while it seems unless you have an update that i haven't heard aj that has a uh, forced them to introduce sam niku and cameron Schilling into their defensive mix and uh, niku is an offensive upside but Schilling not so much uh yeah you pointed it out uh there niku no points yet in the nhl but uh is is a solid solid prospect if you're in a dynasty kind of keeper league Definitely a player to target and to, to take a look at. In terms of, uh, you know, maybe DFS depth options here, uh, Mason Appleton, if he's going to keep playing on that fourth line, this is another kid uh, that has wowed in the AHL. 
just one assist in his first three games up with the club. His minutes are pretty low, so uh, it's definitely not a cash game play. He's a GPP option. You'll obviously want to make sure that he's actually going to play, um, but just someone to keep an eye on, someone to target. It's FanDuel talk time now, AJ. Uh, over 2.5 million players have won a cash prize playing on FanDuel, including me and you. Uh, to take advantage of our special offer for new users, we encourage our listeners to sign up today at FanDuel.com slash RW. These contests are void. We're prohibited. There's a three-game slate tonight. AJ Edmonton at St. Louis, Carolina, San Jose, Chicago at Anaheim. What does the optimizer have in store for that uh, pack of games? Yeah, so uh, a bit of a high-low here from the optimizer. Uh, it's going to go pretty high on, on centers here. Connor McDavid, 9,100. Uh, I, I honestly feel like that has to be in, almost has to be in your lineup tonight uh, with how you know good he, he is on a night-to-night basis. Then it's going to go Ryan O'Reilly. I talked about him earlier, uh, 6,900 as the other center. Optimizer wants to use Patrick Kane tonight for 8,200 and then follows that up with winningers Andre Case for Anaheim at 39, Andre Svechnikov for Carolina at 36, and Alex Chason uh, for 3,600 with Edmonton. He's going to get, it looks like, that top uh, assignment with Connor McDavid, so a pretty good pickup there. And then another high-low on D, Brent Burns, 7,400, with Colton Pareko for 4,400. We talked about Pareko needing to step up with Perangelo out, so this might be his opportunity. And then the optimizer likes Corey Crawford at 7,700 here uh, against Anaheim. All right. I, I like some of those picks. I don't like some of the others, but uh, I love my lineup. And the strategy that I employ is looking at the teams that I think are going to win, AJ, and really stocking up on, on those three squads. Uh, I begin at center, spending up to get the number one guy on the Anaheim side against a struggling Chicago team that manages Ryan Getzlaff is in the lineup for $7,100. Joe Pavelski's been on fire for an extended period of time for San Jose. They have home ice advantage against Carolina. He costs 7900 Jakob Silverberg has been a top six scorer for Anaheim for a while. I think he's underpriced at $5,200 in this matchup. Evander Kane is a guy I pay up for on the wing in, against Carolina. You talked about him earlier. I like his overall game, and I think this is a chance for him to shine. Thomas Hurdle has been a kind of a uh, the Swiss Army knife for San Jose, always around the top six minutes, always on the power play, it seems. Underpriced at $5,300, a good matchup, as I said. The one plug-in that I'm kind of iffy about is Drake Kajula, but I had to sh- uh, shave some money somewhere, and I pick up a top six guy from Edmonton. Uh, I-, I think their win prob- probability is high against St. Louis, and I pay $4,400 for him. On the blue line, I uh, went uh, to top uh, top pairing guys, got a cheap guy in Anaheim, Hampus Lindholm, for $4,600. Oscar Kleffbaum has been scoring a lot more regularly for Edmonton on that high octane offense that could put up a big number tonight for $5,600. And in the nets, I look for John Gibson as the highest win probability at a decent price, $8,600 for him, AJ. What are you going to do? Well, I will tell our listeners this. Uh, don't play both of our lineups tonight because only one of them is going to do any good for you because um, <laughs> I am going to utilize I'm going to utilize a bunch of Chicago guys tonight uh, in an attempt to kind of go, you know, low ownership here. So if my lineup hits, uh, Paul's goaltender is going to be a huge miss. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to start off with Connor McDavid. I talked about him being kind of a near lock right now in a three game slate. I think you have to have him in there. Ninety one hundred. And then I'm going to start with that Chicago second line with Dylan Strome, 4,600. I'm going to go back to Edmonton with Leon Dreisaitl at 6,800. 
fill out the rest of Chicago's second line. Alex Brinkett, 6,200. Patrick Kane, 8,200. I spent a lot of money uh, in those kind of groupings there. So I'm taking a flyer on Warren Fogle tonight at 3,100. He's not getting a top six assignment. This is definitely a GPP look here uh, and hasn't, you know, he hasn't looked great uh, since kind of coming on really strong to the start of the season. But I don't hate the matchup tonight. uh, with San Jose, who has had some struggles periodically. So uh, definitely taking a flyer there. Defensively, I love the call with Oscar Clefbaum. I'm going to use him myself at 5,600. I'm going to go back to Chicago with Gustav Forsling, 3,800, uh, really because I just need somebody cheap who is going to be in a top two pairing. Uh, and then I'm going to use Cam Talbot in the Nets, 7,600. Again, it's a risky play. He's had kind of struggles this season. St. Louis does have some offense, uh, but I think. Uh, he can provide, you know, with the offense ahead of him, he can hopefully at least secure the win tonight. All right, AJ, it's time for our stud of the week. And again, <laughs> we're concentrating on last week, but this guy aided his cause with a nice effort last night. I'm talking about Aiden Hill in the Nets for Arizona. He's another one of those big goalies, six foot six, two 202 pounds. Is he the real answer to Coyote's net mining picture? For the moment, I would say yes. He's going to get an extended look based on his recent play, but based on what he did in the last four outings, he certainly deserves a longer-term look, allowing only four goals against in that period of time. He's like so many of the new breed of goalies that are large bodies in the nets, and so even for that reason, he gets a, a, a nod in this corner. For one week anyway... Like I said, he sure looked like it. He, uh, let's see, it's been a long time since any goalie, in fact, uh, started out his season this strongly after a call-up in this manner. So another thing that makes him unique, the Coyotes are at least trying to do things differently to find a path toward being relevant in, in the NHL. He'll likely be given the longer look here, as I say, now that he's had this early success. And I believe that a, a team cannot make a quantum leap in the NHL unless they get it right in goal. And he might be the best thing they got going right now. I think the the thing holding uh, Hill back is is his contract, to be honest with you. You know, they can move him up and down without having to put him on waivers. And that's not the case for the other guys here. Um, You know, if if they wanted to keep Hill around to back up possibly anti Ranta, they would have to put both Picard, who they just got, and Darcy Kemper on waivers. And I don't think they're willing to risk that. Uh, for those guys. So I think the fact that he can be moved back to the minors is what's going to see Hill head down there once Ranta and Kemper are both healthy. Okay, we're going to put a copper penny on this one. Never mind a dollar (laughs) bet. It's not worth a dollar bet, but I think I'm going to be right. (laughs) The rant of the week features Tyler Bertuzzi, who sucker punched Matt Calvert while he was not even on the ice. I hope the league come. I was hoping the league would come down harder than a two or three game suspension. He only got two games. The video that I saw, AJ, sees a defenseless Matt Calvert draped over the wings bench, uh, and and Bertuzzi takes a wind up and delivers an uppercut with his prone opponent, uh, the victim here. In the same week, we saw repeat offenders Marshawn and Wilson take shots at opponents in scenarios where 95% of other players would not have even engaged. That's the part that bothers me here. Bertuzzi adds his name to this list of rats in the NHL, and I will point out that he's the nephew of Todd Bertuzzi, who earned infamy for his surprise attack on Stephen Moore some several years ago in an act of retribution. I now add Bertuzzi to the list of these rats who need to be extinguished from this league. This is another example of senseless violence in hockey in an act that has nothing to do with the game. Enough is enough. 
Yeah, I agree with you, Paul. The fact that he was on the bench is what bothers me the most about this. You know, if, if two guys are on the ice and they want to drop the gloves, I, I don't see a problem with that. I'm, I'm, I, you know, I have no qualms about that. I'm, I'm not advocating that we need to get rid of fighting because I, I do think it, there's an aspect of that in the game. Um, but those have to be guys on the ice. Uh, you know, if you want to deliver a big hit and kind of send a message that way, as long as it's a legal hit, I'm fine with that as well. Um, but to, to punch a guy from the bench, I, I, I think it needed to be more than two games. And I absolutely agree with you. Wow, AJ, I think that's the fastest we've ever done 31 teams in 31 in 31 <laughs> minutes. I think it was pretty close to that this week. Uh, that wraps up this episode of Puckcast with Statsman and AJ. Please remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22, and you can follow AJ at AJScholes24. As always, we invite you to listen to Puckcast to get our tips to stay ahead of the competition in your fantasy hockey planning and research. So long, everybody. 